say one time, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room if you can find the smart people and get them around you. And that's what I do when I'm studying is I find the smart people. And so I'm going to keep doing this, just letting you guys see what books um, there are about these subjects. I'm going to put them up here this time. Um, also, parents, so I know kids are staying in today. We we have these uh, these little books, notebooks that have some things in there for the kids to help them stay engaged. Any parents who would like those for their kids, you can kind of like squeak your hand up a little bit if you didn't grab one. And okay, Nick over there. Skiplas, do y'all have things for the kids? You got them. Okay. So we'll grab some of those for your kids. And don't, don't worry about kids making noise and all that kind of thing. It's fine. This is, we're all in here together and that's a good sound. So um, I get some flack sometimes for my um, movie and TV choices and things like that. Not, not because of any reason other than um, I tend to like things that people think are just awful. Like, like, hey, you know that's not a very good show, right? And one of the ones that I get flack about a lot, because I really liked the show, and I know, but I really liked the way that it ended, is uh, the TV show that was just like all the rage years back called Lost. Any fans of Lost? I loved the ending. Don't, you know, you can run over me in the parking lot later. But, and I'll, I'll explain it to you why I love the ending, just not today. Okay, but here's the thing about Lost, and here's one of the complaints that people have about this show. One of the things that people just went, went wild over is that this show, as interesting as it was, it seemed to have... Um, a lot of gaps, like what was the deal with Walt and his powers, this little kid who apparently had like psychic powers, and before he even got to this magical, mysterious island. Um, what about this log cabin that's out there, that they find this log cabin, and it just like moves around the, around the island. Um, if the island can heal people, then why did Ben get cancer, right? All kinds of questions like this. Um, polar bears? Polar bears just show up on this tropical island. Well, how long have they been there? How did they get there? What are they doing? Why were there polar bears on this tropical island? And the thing about it is the show never answers any of those questions. Now, I don't know why they didn't answer those questions. Maybe the writers just got ahead of themselves. Maybe they forgot. Um, maybe they didn't know. But there's also another option Maybe they weren't concerned with answering those questions. Maybe they just didn't want to focus on that because they wanted you to focus on other things. Well, that specific scenario actually happens in Scripture. When the writers of Scripture, when God inspired them to write down His Word, sometimes in Scripture there are intentional gaps where the author is not concerned with answering the question that you have about the text. Um, Jack Collins says it this way. He says, a gap is something left unresolved. When it is intentional, it makes us wonder about it, as if to say, I know you are curious about this, but since the purpose of the account is elsewhere, I will not satisfy your curiosity. Today, we are looking at a gap. 
there is a gap that is right here in the text because we are going to end last week with verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then we start chapter 3 with, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And we have this gap right here in the text. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at the gap a little bit, but mostly what we want to do is say, if this is not God's purpose, then what is his purpose in this text? What does God want us to see here? So we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning. God, would you change us by your word? Jesus, help us to look more like you than we did earlier today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So so here we, we have this shift in the story, and remember the context, everything we have been talking about, um, we are about to take a turn in the story. So everything that we've done uh, up at this point in Genesis, the story now is beginning to turn. And so the context is we have this creation, which is good. We have plants and animals, which are good. We have the, the stars, and which are good. We have the, the things in the ocean, which are good. We have Adam and Eve, in, who are good in this good garden. And then all of a sudden, now the serpent was more crafty. Well, here he is, the serpent. Best understood probably as a mouthpiece of Satan, The text is not trying to say here that Satan is actually a snake. The text is also not trying to say that he's kind of that red guy with the long tail and the pitchfork. Those were actually uh, drawings and things that were made to make fun of the devil. Um, Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But uh, here we have the serpent, the mouthpiece of the devil, Satan, the enemy, the adversary. And here is the gap. Well, how did he get there? Why did God let him in? Why was he there in the first place? Um, And it kind of comes down to this idea that maybe you've heard people say, and this is kind of presented as like the, the bombshell for Christianity, which is, okay, here's this being, which is, is evil. So is God not powerful enough to keep him out? Or is God not good enough to keep him out? And and so people kind of wrestle with this idea of how can a a good God allow evil to exist? Now, we're really not going to dig into that a whole lot because I want to tell you this is not the bombshell that people try and and make it out to be. Um, Tim Keller writes this. He says, the confident assertion that suffering and evil simply disproves the existence of God has been almost entirely abandoned 
in professional and academic circles. Now, why, why has this change happened? Why has this change happened where this idea has been entirely abandoned? Well, he goes on and he says this. He says, if God has good reasons for allowing suffering and evil, then there is no contradiction between his existence and that of evil. And then, so in order for the case not to fail, the skeptic would have to reply that God could not possibly have any such reasons. Go ahead and go to the next one, Charlie. It is very hard to prove that. The assumption is, if I can't see any reasons God might have for permitting that evil, then probably he doesn't have any. So all that is necessary, and this is the reason that argument has, has essentially gone away where, where people are really discussing these things academically and professionally, is because if God has a good reason, if God has good reasons, sufficient reasons for allowing evil to exist, if God has good reasons for allowing the, this enemy, this adversary to be there, then God is still good. And we do not have to know his reasons in order for God to still be good. We don't have to know those reasons. And so the reason this is a problem for us is because we look at it and we say, yeah, but I can't figure out what that reason would be. Exactly. None of us are God. That, that is above us. He has, not, he has not decided to share that with us. He has simply asked for our trust. And he has shown through the course of scripture that he is trustworthy, that he is deserving of our trust. And so when God says, hey, the reason for that is not in focus in this text, but trust me, our response is to say, okay, Lord, I trust you. Now, what is the reason for this text? Well, the reason for this text, the reason for this text is I, I think uh, what we're seeing in, in this text is that into God's good creation, this adversary comes, and what this is doing is this is showing us the need to know God's word, to know God's reality, and to know God's promise. The first part of that is that we need to know God's word. The enemy through the serpent says to the woman in verse 1, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, he's being a little sneaky there. He's, he's just asking the question. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm just asking a question. Have your kids ever done that? Hey, no, I'm just asking a question. You're like, no, you're in trouble. No, he's just asking the question. Did God actually say you can't eat any of these trees? <clears throat> He's testing her. He, he's trying to see what she knows. It's kind of like if you go to a, a certain island in the Philippines, there, there are like these two or three guys, and this same guy has gone back, and guess who, who shows up? And he, he's walking around. He's in the Philippines. He's obviously a tourist. He's from Scotland. He doesn't quite look like or sound like he fits in. And, and inevitably, this guy will come up, and he'll start saying, Hey, hey, man, you, are you here to see the temple? Yeah, I'm here to see the temple. I'm, I'm heading towards it right now. He goes, no, 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 not, not that temple. The tornado temple. Have you seen the, or the tsunami temple? It's, it's incredible. It's huge. It's amazing. And, and nobody's ever going to tell you about it, but I will take you to that temple. What he's doing is he's testing to see what do you know? Do you know about the tsunami temple? Or do you know that what he's really trying to do is he's trying to get you on a little bike with his friend, take you out into the middle of nowhere, and the ride is free. But if you want to go back to town, you got to pay up. 
He's testing. And I think, <clears throat> I think that's what the serpent is doing here. He's testing her. What do you actually remember? What do you actually know about what God said? Did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, she gets it mostly right. It's a little bit debatable here. Um, she says you shouldn't touch the tree either. <clears throat> and, and we're not sure, you know, exactly what, what's going on there. Um, that's, that doesn't show up. God just says don't eat of the fruit of this tree, but everything else you can have. But she gets it mostly right. She gets it mostly right there. Do we? The enemy loves it loves it when we don't know God's word. There are so many things that get, get passed around as if it's part of God's word, like the cleanliness is next to godliness, or uh, the Lord helps those that help themselves. Nowhere in the Bible. It's not in there. Go look for it. Spend a long time looking for it, and you'll get some other good stuff out of here. Um, the enemy loves it when we don't know what's in here. Or if we think there are things in here that aren't. The enemy loves it when we take things out of context, Right? There's a t-shirt that I really want to get someday, and it says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Right? He loves that. He loves that. And so, we need to know God's word. We need to know God's word, because this is what the enemy likes to do. He likes to test if we know God's word. One way to know that is to, to simply read it. I'm not talking about reading devotionals and all that kind of thing. That's great. But I mean, just read God's word. If that's hard for you, you know, read John, read Mark, read the Psalms, read the Proverbs. They're real short. You can just read one and then just think about it. Or, or get your phone and download a Bible app. There are lots and lots of good ones. Um, there's one called Dwell, and you can pick your passage, and it'll just play it on repeat. You know, or you can get any of the Bible apps and just play it. Just listen to it. Just take five minutes out of your drive and listen to God's word, because we need to know God's word. And out of those who are in church, only about 32% of us engage God's word daily. 27% is maybe more than once a week, and the rest, it's once a month or never. So half of God's people, half of God's people who are in church would say, I do not engage God's word. We need to know God's word. We also need to know God's reality. Look at verse 4. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. The, the Hebrew here, it kind of repeats the word. It's like, you, you won't die, die. And, and what it's doing is it's emphasizing that this is serious. This is a, this is a, a big point. Um, there was one rabbi that, that kind of looked at this and he said, you know, I think the devil maybe kind of like made her bump into the tree so that she touched it. And then he said, well, you didn't die and you can only die once. So, so that's why it says die, die. But here, what, what it's trying to get across, what it's trying to get across is the text is trying to get across that the enemy is coming against what God has said and he is denying God's reality. Reality is truth as God sees it. That's what reality is. Reality is the world as God sees it, as he determines it. That's what reality is. If all of us went away and we were no longer perceiving the world, it's still there if God determines it's still there. That's why it is reality. And so there are natural laws, um, like if you go jump off a cliff, like how many of you, if somebody said, I'll give you a million dollars to jump out of an airplane, would you do it? 
Well, the airplane is still on the ground, so maybe you should have asked a question. Um, <clears throat> right? But reality is, if you get high enough, you're going to get hurt. And if you get higher, you're going to die. That's a natural law. If you break it, there is a consequence. And then the moral law, the moral law is part of God's determined reality as well. And if you break God's moral law, then there are consequences. They may be earthly consequences, they may be eternal consequences. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from that tree, you will die. This, this principle of, of consequences to breaking the moral law stays firm all through Scripture. Galatians 6, 7 says that God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. The moral law is upheld. And so when the serpent comes and he says, you will not surely die, he is denying reality. He is den- he's not just denying what God said. He is denying the nature of reality. Now, you can find some religions and things that still do this. So like Christian scientists, some Hindus, many atheists would say there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's all in your mind. There's no such thing as evil. And R.C. Sproul says if you come across somebody like that, steal their wallet. They'll change their mind. <clears throat> um, we, we actually kind of do the same thing. We actually kind of do the same thing, though. We deny, we deny uh, the reality of this natural law. We deny of, of, of uh, action and consequence. Like, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands, but think in your heart, have you ever texted while you're driving? Have you ever been fiddling with your phone? Have you ever been calling somebody, been doing those things? Okay, well, um, why do we do it? Well, I won't encounter that consequence. I won't get in a wreck. I'm a really safe driver. I won't get a ticket. I won't do that. Nothing's going to happen. I won't experience that. And we actually replay that same scenario. We replay that over and over. We replay it with a bottle. We, we replay it with a, a friend who's in a hard marriage, and, and we know that I shouldn't get so close. We replay it as a workaholic where I, I know that, that I need to be home. I know that, that I've made this thing into an idol and we replay that same scenario over and over of denying God's reality. And it's as if the voice of the serpent is speaking to us in those moments. You won't surely die. We have to know God's reality. And the final thing here is we need to know God's promise. Listen to what he says going on. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, now this whole thing about knowing good and evil, um, you know, Nick may be going into that next week. I'm not sure, but, but that's a whole thing right there. But what is interesting is what happens in this chapter with the name of God. See, earlier in chapter 2, the name of God that's being used is, is Yahweh. And that is God's covenant name. And that's the name that, that the, the Jews revered as so holy they wouldn't say it. When, when, they, would, when they were going to write it, there was a whole process of how you could even write that name out. It is God's covenant name. And every time they encounter that name, they remember the covenant. But what happens here is... The serpent comes and he says, Elohim. It, it's, it's no longer the covenant name of God. He is dropping that covenant name for a more generic name. Collins puts it this way. 
He says, by dropping the covenant name, then the serpent is probably advancing his program of temptation by diverting the woman's attention from the relationship the Lord has established. The woman's use of it shows she is trapped. And we begin to have a clue as to how she could be led to disobedience by forgetting the covenant, by forgetting the promise. She forgets the promise and she begins to be diverted away from the covenant. Today, this still happens. And, and I think, and we talked about this a while back when we were talking about, about Sabbath. I think this mostly happens through distractions and usually with good things. I think this mostly happens with distractions that are usually good things. C.S. Lewis, I love, I love the way he did this. Screw tape is writing to, uh, to uh, Wormwood. And he says this, he says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. You could replace that with like Facebook, TV, I mean, you name it. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Suddenly one day you just wake up and say, how far away have I come? I think that's what the enemy is about today, is distracting us to make us forget the promise. Forget the promise. The promise, the promise that Adam and Eve had from God was that he had created them and put them in this good place. And the promise was that they were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And instead they grasped for the enemy's promise, which was, you're not just made to glorify God and be like, and enjoy him forever. You can be like him. You can become him. You can have more than that. You can become like God. Sin always makes this promise. Always makes this promise. That's what sin does. It makes the promise. You can become like God and it never fulfills it. It will never fulfill it. It may be in the short term. Maybe in the short term, but in the long run, you will see that promise is bankrupt. You think if I get enough money, if I get enough power, if I get enough respect, if I get enough friends, if I, if I get this, if I get that, if I have these things in my life, maybe, maybe, if I, maybe if I get enough self-care, maybe if I get enough, right, and you can find anything and you can shove it into that place and say, if I have enough of this or a high enough quality of this, then everything's okay, I'm going to be okay, I will be satisfied, I will be happy. And the gospel can, says that even, even those good things, even the good things, they will never satisfy you like Jesus. You will never be truly happy until you have a relationship with the creator that we were made to glorify. We were made to enjoy relationship with him, and there is only one way to get it. It's not the nicest car, the most respect. It's not by leaving a great legacy. As good as that is, as important as that is, the only way to get it is by trusting in the completed work of Christ on your behalf. You see, as we're reading this, and, and as we begin going through this story, what, what we may remember is that Jesus later on was tested, just like Adam and Eve. 
but it wasn't in the garden this time. It was out in the wilderness. It was out in the desert. And Satan didn't come speaking through a serpent. He came as himself, and he began to twist God's word. But Jesus knew God's word. He knew God's reality. He knew his promise. And so the devil fled, defeated. The the second Adam did what the first failed to do and what none of us could have done. And ultimately, as we read in Colossians, ultimately he defeated the enemy at the cross. Colossians puts it this way. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he did what? He disarmed the powers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Christ finally defeated the enemy at the cross. This is why. This is why we have to know God's word. We have to know his reality. We have to know his promise. And we have to go back and remember that promise again and again. And we have to argue with our hearts. We have to preach to our hearts when we begin to forget it. And when the enemy comes and says, you will not surely die. We say, no, but I know the one who did. And he died on my behalf and he died in my place. And we rest in that promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And that is why. That is why, as one man has said, to speak of sin by itself, to speak of it apart from the realities of creation and grace, is to forget the resolve of God. God wants shalom and will pay any price to get it back. And then he says this, human sin is stubborn, but not as stubborn as the grace of God. And not half so persistent, not half so ready to suffer to win its way. Thanks be to Christ who suffered on our behalf so that we might have life in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done. We praise you. You are good. You have done what we could not do. And you did it for us. Lord, would you order our lives such that we bring you much glory And when we go after empty things that won't satisfy, would you remind us of the enjoyment, of the satisfaction that we can find in you? Jesus, when we forget and when we fail, would you remind us of your great mercy and hold us in your arms? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?